episode of Maroon and Bold. We discuss Central Michigan football team and a tough loss to Buffalo on the road. How do they respond to that? Also, men's and women's basketball, they both had their scrimmages already. So what are we going to expect from them this season? And then also, Jeremy Groves, the soccer coach, some heated comments after a tough loss. You're going to want to hear what he had to say. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Maroon and Bold. I'm your sports editor, Evan Petzl, along with me. Austin Chastain, your assistant sports editor, and that's not just it for today. We're going to have Christian Boer and Andrew Loveland come on the show. They're two staff reporters. They're going to be ready to talk about Jeremy Groves, all right? And just to, to dabble on that for a quick second, um, Austin, man, he had some some words for his Chippewas after their their recent loss. Man, I mean, it was a, it was a one nothing loss to Akron, and it was a home game at the, the CMU soccer field, and he really let it rip. These guys are going to get into it a little bit later in the show, but your initial thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, my my opinion, my initial thoughts. I mean, I was I was a little like shocked to see such harsh words, but at the same time, I mean, you know, it's it's a coach trying to, you know, I guess try to trying to find like that. Um, he wants he just wants good good play from his team. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not can't necessarily blame him. I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, following a game like that. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, so we'll let we'll let we'll let uh, we'll let the boys. Well, get well real that. quick, let me read you some of the comments on Facebook that we've been getting for that story. Not not feeling the comments, Coach. Leadership and accountability starts at the top. And this guy, this guy John, he says this coach sounds like a real loser. I have coached for forty five years and have never heard a coach ridicule a team this bad. Does not deserve to be a college coach. Another one said, and this is Cindy. She said. How disappointing and demoralizing that a coach uses such negative language to discuss these fine young women. Take leadership, take a leadership class, coach, so you can focus on improving the program, not taking it down. Here's another one, another comment on uh, on Facebook. I've never felt compelled to comment on one of these before. Speaking to you know our stories, I am extremely disappointed in the comments made by this coach. This is exactly how not to motivate a team. Keep the players, dump the coach. Here's another one. Wow, if you ever get a chance to coach again, remember you can say bad things about your players in the locker room, but not in front of a reporter. And it just kind of goes on and on and on and on. So these guys are going to talk about it. They're going to tell you what sparked some of these comments you know, on Facebook and, and really like kind of what all happened here. But you guys got to stick around to the end to hear that. First off, we're going to start with football. Uh, a tough loss. Austin, man, we made the trip all the way to Buffalo. We, we went through Canada. Um, how was that trip for you? Your first time, your first time over there in the in the land. What was the thought? Oh, the the trip was fantastic. I mean, going through Canada, like like you said, I mean, I've I've never been out of the country before, um, so that experience was was real cool. Um, you know, stop. We made a pit stop at Niagara Falls. That was um, that was honestly breathtaking. Mm-hmm. I'm not much. Oh, yeah. of a, I'm not much of a nature guy, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but the the sight just that site Niagara Falls was 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 breathtaking and uh the entire trip man i mean almost running out of gas in in Paris Ontario uh me leading us to a closed gas station oh, surrounded man. by three 24-hour Tim Hortons and one 24-hour gas station well it was weird because like in Canada too you don't have like the greatest service it's not like our service right. is like great because it, it it really is a struggle to try to find service and there's spotty areas where it works and doesn't work because we're not in we're not in the united states and so we're on what was it bell or Telus? i think those are the two those are the two like phone yeah bell rogers i think bell and rogers yeah. and Telus. yeah there, there's some there's some different types of service or, or whatnot but it's kind of like in some areas you get those in some areas you don't and you got nothing and you know, I, I hit the low fuel on my car, and Austin, you took us there, and it was closed, and we didn't have the greatest service, and we were trying to call different places. And I don't know if they use Apple Maps there, if they use something totally different, because the 24-hour gas station did not show up on Google Maps at all. So we have no clue where we're going, right, because that that the only 24-hour gas station in the area wouldn't show up. Right. And so we ended up having to go to one of the three 24-hour Tim Hortons Priorities. and just ask directions and basically try to remember the directions based off of... Of, of what we could and 
we found our way eventually. I can't tell you the excitement in my in my voice when I saw an open gas station, just because we we were we were basically toast there if we couldn't find anything because. I mean, I think I only had a solid, what, 15, 20 miles in my car left. And, again, there was gas stations that weren't even showing up on our Google Maps. So that's kind of a little bit of a difference. I mean, I kind of just told the story, but yeah. there's there's a little more depth to it. But, anyway, it was a good trip. It was fun. But Central Michigan lost. Um, what were your thoughts on on the game and the performance and, and what you saw out of CMU? Well, McElwain kind of said it right after the game. I mean, you know, having five turnovers, you're you're never going to win any kind of football game with five turnovers. Um, and Buffalo scored 24 points off of those those turnovers. Oh, yeah. So I mean, sure. I mean, if if Buffalo goes down and scores every every time they had the ball, um, I, I don't know. I, I I think it's a huge what if game, Evan. You actually wrote you wrote a very nice story about that. It's the what if game. You know, if you don't Thank if you. you what if you don't commit those five turnovers? Maybe if you just limit it to two, you know, it, whatever. I don't know. It, it, um, it was a, I think I thought it was a really sloppy game for CMU. Uh-huh. It, yeah. it just didn't look like it had in the in the previous three weeks. Um, yeah. I, well, when you it, well when, with the with the story too. I mean, like I wasn't really trying to play like the what if game throughout the whole story, but I right. did for a minute there, and kind of said like playing the what if game really shows you just how detrimental those turnovers were. And how much CMU really needs to improve going forward? Because you look at those turnovers, right, and you see that, and and you think, yeah, you know, that that's a part of football. But then you realize that Buffalo really played a clean game. You know, took care of the ball. Um, they capitalized on all their opportunities that they had to score. And so that playing the what if game kind of leads you to to start to think, yeah, well, maybe if they didn't if they didn't turn the ball over this many times, they weren't sloppy with the ball, specifically towards the end of the first quarter and, and early in the in the second quarter. What type of a game would this have been, and, and would it have been been a closer game? Would it have been more competitive? And obviously, you know, when someone frames it to you like that and they kind of go through step-by-step step some of these mistakes, it's a lot easier to kind of sit back and think, yeah, wow, that was a really crummy performance. And that's kind of the the that's the message that I wanted to send with that. And obviously, I, you know, quotes and stuff to back it up and stats to back it up and information to back it up. Um, so I wasn't, you know, reaching from like a – I wasn't trying to throw opinion into it. But I wanted to portray the fact that, yeah – yeah, there was a lot of mistakes made, and the game would have been a lot different. So if you think about it from the what-if standpoint, you really do realize what could have actually been different. Um, and, and McElwain was honest when he said it. He, he said, quote, I want us to hurt. That's what I want us to do, end quote. He also apologized to uh, to Lance uh, Lance Leipold and his, his team at Buffalo just for this team's performance and the fact that they weren't able to give him a, a game. He said, quote, I'm disappointed we couldn't give Lance and his guys a better game, end quote. Then he later said, uh, quote, like I said before, I apologize to Buffalo for not giving them a game that was competitive. They took it to us, end quote. So he literally just basically came out and said, yeah, we we got rolled. And yep. and he owned it, and I respect him for that. Um, but I guess kind of your thoughts on that, man. Like, does it improve? Does it not improve? Are we, are we seeing – did we see the peak of the Chippewas when they – when they played against uh, New Mexico State and won, and were you know winning a couple games against some some cupcake teams. I mean, let's be honest here. Like, you know, Akron is nothing. Akron is the worst team in college football. Mm-hmm. You know, New Mexico State is the second um, is the second worst team in college football, and then Eastern Michigan really isn't as good as we thought they were. I mean, I mean, really, they've they've struggled. Right, and then Bowling Green is on the one twenties as well. Bowling Green is is not good either. Right, at all. So. At all, I they got a lucky win against Toledo, and Toledo isn't even good. So what right. does that win even mean? Right. I mean, I don't think I don't for that program. It means a lot. Obviously, the battle for I seventy five. I mean, that's a huge win for the program. But in terms of in terms of CMU and like the conference outlook, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a win. But you know the, I mean, it was at the time because you thought, okay, yeah, they're going to be good, and right, you know, but, and and then. I guess when it comes down to it and you're thinking, okay, yeah, Bowling Green, they're, they're, they're going to be a really good team going forward. Wow. You know, look at them. And you go into their place and you beat them. And it's like, all right, so maybe we got something here. Maybe we really do have something here. And, and you think that, and then they get rolled 49, 49 to 10 by Western Michigan the week later. And it's like, okay, yeah, this team is, is back down to earth. Right. And then Central Michigan gets rolled 43 to 20 at Buffalo, uh, who had who had a losing record go- actually going into that game. They were The Bulls were 3 and f- well, yeah, they were three and four going in that game, and two and two in the conference, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. It was it was just one of those things. Like, you know, I I don't th- I don't think this team has peaked. I think 
I think this NIU game coming up on Saturday, which I know we'll get into in a bit, but this game coming up on Saturday, I think, is the true test. How you can come back from a, a pretty bad loss like that on the road, come back home. Because NIU is not really a joke. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not one of the greatest teams in the world, but I would argue that could be pretty similar to, to CMU. Um, and maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but, you know, I just in, in briefly looking at it, and I'll have to do more research, but, you know, it, it should be a close game um, here on Saturday. So, like I say, this, this NIU game is going to really be the true test to see if the team has peaked or not. Um, and if it has, then then it has. And I don't, I don't think there's much more you can, you can do. Yeah, I mean, looking at Northern Illinois and what they bring to the table, I mean, listen, they, they've, got, they've got one of the better running backs in the MAC in Trey Harbison, uh, a dude that can really put the ball on the ground and, and go, and, and he, makes it, he makes it all work, and that's something that he takes a lot of pride in. Um, 31 carries for 158 yards and two touchdowns in last weekend's game against Akron. It was a, a shutout win for them. Again, they're playing Akron, so you, you can't forget that. But Marcus Childers at, at quarterback, he's a guy that you have to look forward to in, in a, a player that might not throw the ball as often. Um, you know, he ran the ball nine times for, for 43 yards and in the win against Akron. He only threw it. Um, he only threw it nine times and completed seven passes. Uh, but of the seven completions, three went for touchdowns. So I'll give him credit on on that. But looking at them overall as a team and what they bring, um, you know, Trey Harbison, in the way that he's been able to run all season long, he's been consistent. He stayed that way. 158 carries for 745 yards and seven touchdowns. And then right behind him is Jordan Nettles, another running back that you, you kind of have to keep your eye on. Doesn't get as many touches, just about half as many as, as Harbison does. 49 on the season. But you know, he's, he's been semi-consistent in the way that he's been able to rack up 247 yards. Um, and he doesn't have any touchdowns in the season yet, which is partially a concern in that category. But they do have two running backs that they can use. And, and that, that is something that I think is very important for that offense is that, you know, they do give you two different looks. Maybe not as dynamic as a, as a Ward and Lewis in terms of a combination that you have. But still, two backs that can put the football on the ground and, and go with it. And then also your quarterback runs as well. You know, because with with Childers, even though it's not as much as a true dual threat quarterback, he still has 23 carries for 167 yards and two scores. But the passing game is is where he really does his work. Um, you know, we saw Ross Bowers was was in there early. Um, he's played in seven games this season, um, and and he was a guy that was leading the team. You know, he was really doing a, a nice job. 133, um, you know, complete passes out of 232. Five touchdowns, five interceptions, um, you know, over 1,700 yards passing. But now it's Childers' job, and, and he's in there in the mix. And now it's his time to, to really lead the team. I guess from that perspective, with, like, a new quarterback taking over um, the full-time duties, what do you think is is going to happen with that? I mean, do you think that gives CMU an advantage in a way just because you have a different guy in there? Or do you think it maybe is okay because he had the tune-up against Akron to kind of really get himself set? What are what are your overall thoughts on on that one? Well, I, I my mind goes back to the Bowling Green game. You know, Grant Loy had I guess a tune up game against Toledo, if you could really call it that. But he you know made his I guess claim to fame against the Rockets, and um, and that I think that's probably why Bowling Green beat Toledo is because they just weren't prepared for a guy like Grant Loy, and and CMU had that that week to prepare. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we know this is going to be the guy, and we're just going to go and attack. We're just going to go take care of business and. Um, I think I think you'll see kind of kind of the same thing. Like this this defense does pretty prepare pretty well for for most quarterbacks. I mean, um, I I think the I think the a big a bigger reason uh, for the loss last week was uh, was the running backs. Um, you know, I I think I think I think Buffalo ended up with 197 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms in terms of quarterback play, I think I think CMU does does a pretty good job of of preparing for quarterbacks and. Um, and and knowing this guy's this Childers has played a couple of games, um, they'll they'll be able to see it and you know kind of know know what to expect. I think so. I don't think it'll be uh, that big of a deal. Yeah, no, you know the interesting thing too is in the week prior, um, obviously that's that's when Bowers went out. He landed head first on the turf, and he wasn't able to play. I mean, this most recent game, but the question mark kind of is where is he going to be at? Is he out for the season? Is he 
um, going to be a guy that's going to be coming back this week? Is he, you know, a couple week thing? Is he going to be? Uh, let's try to get him back for the last game of the season. Not sure what the idea on that is, and obviously we'll keep you guys updated um, as we hear more about Ross Bowers, their starting quarterback from the beginning of the season. But I guess when you're looking at this game too, how how important is it for CMU, regardless of if it's going to be Bowers in it at quarterback or Childers or whatever they're going to end up doing, how important is it to really prove that your run game is still able to stop teams? And they obviously didn't do that against Buffalo. You know, Buffalo ran ran pretty well on them, um, and Central Michigan was not able to run the football at all. How important is it that you can stop? You know they're running, they're running back, and and their run game as a whole, and and what does that mean going forward? Well, I th- I think it's I would argue it's the most important thing because mm-hmm. as the season goes along, um, you know the weather's going to start to kind of turn, kind of turn bad, and you're going to have to put the ball on the ground, keep the ball on the ground, and defensively you're going to have to stop it um, because if you don't stop it, you're 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 screwed. Um, I mean you're 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 not going to be able to win any kind of football games. Um, if if you if you allow teams to run all over you when the weather is bad and you can't throw the ball and you have to run too, um, you know. But from a defensive standpoint, you you really really need to make sure you can stop the run as as the season gets later and later. And I think you have to make sure you're running the football as well. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a two two part fold there. Seventy three rushing yards, three of thirteen on first down, four sacks allowed, three fumbles lost, two interceptions, muff kick returns, nine penalties for fifty three yards. That that was the story. That was the story of the forty three twenty loss to Buffalo, um, ju- just this past weekend. Oh, I agree. And, totally. And that's what it was. It was it was the mistakes, and it wasn't like one or two mistakes that cost them the game. It was a series of mistakes that allowed them to get blown out. That Central Michigan should not have been blown out against Buffalo. That was an embarrassment. That was a downright embarrassment. It was to to come off to come off a win on the road, to come off three straight wins, and and to say. This is this is where we're turning the corner. We have a chance to control our own destiny. To to know that, to say that, you know, winning back to back on the road is is what we're going to do, and and to not even make it a game. I mean that that's embarrassing. It was, and I think that's why McElwain apologized to 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 Buffalo. I and mean, and you got to correct it, and it's not something that you can you can correct right away. Um, maybe it takes time. Maybe we don't see that even until next year. But this team is not ready. It's it, there's. Central Michigan's not ready. I, I was, I when they when they won three straight and then I had that one win against Bowling Green, I thought, all right, this team can compete. This team can play, and teams that can compete and teams that can play at a very high level in, in the conference, at least, they, they don't they don't lose like that. No, they don't get they don't they don't lose like that. They don't. No, and I mean we we talk all about you know. Oh, the you know the Mid American Conference is is so competitive, and it is. It is. It is totally. But, um, but like you said, I mean, championship teams don't have compounded mistakes like that. You know, f- like you said, five turnovers. Ask nine- Dan Lefevre. Oh yeah. Ask Brian Anderson. Yeah, that team. Ask did, those guys. Yeah, that team did not make many mistakes. That 2009 team did not make many mistakes. And look what they did. Oh, oh yeah, they went twelve and two. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to go twelve and two no. to be a good team. No, but. I agree, but you can't you can't make mistakes to be a good team like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, sure, like you said, you don't have to be that team because I mean that team's. I think that team's hard to replicate. But the the part where you don't make mental mistakes, you don't you don't commit penalties, you don't turn the ball over five times. Like there's, I I don't. I don't know, and uh, you know, like you said, I'll uh, you know, I'll give credit to McElwain. He owned up to it. He said we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, and, and, I w- and he said it before. He has said it before that we can't do stuff like that. The- yeah, they've been down this road. Right. My point though, too, and I, and I will have to mention this as well. Um, you know, as much as, as embarrassing as that loss was, I do still give McElwain credit. He has his team farther than. I would say a majority of people predicted. He has them right where I predicted at this point. I've I've predicted every game. I'm going to boost myself here for a second. I predicted every game correctly when it comes down to a win-loss. Um, I Just so you guys know, I, I had Albany as a win. I had Wisconsin as a loss. I had Akron as a win. I had Miami as a loss. I had Western as a loss. I had Eastern as a win. I had New Mexico State as a win. I had Bowling Green as a win. Then I had Buffalo as a loss. So I'm going to take credit um, a little bit for the fact that, uh, that I predicted those right, and that's all on cm-life.com. The story is headlined how the Chippewas will go 6-6 six and six this season game by game. 
So I'll, I'll say that. I knew this was going to happen. I, I had a feeling that this is exactly how it was going to work. But a lot of people didn't. And, and in the Mac in the Mac polls and stuff like that, I still picked him to finish last in the Mac, um, just based off the fact that they were as bad as they were last year. And a lot of people did too. Granted, if the Mac was a little bit different this year and there was a couple powerhouses, they would be towards the bottom in the Mac West. Let's, sure. let's just make that clear. There was one person that gave him a first place vote, though. There's always someone that does it. I don't know who the hell it is. But anyway. The point of the matter is, I do still respect Jim McElwain a ton for what he's done, right? I mean, like, you have to remember, this was a 111 team. This was a team that couldn't play offense last year. And they actually play some offense. I, I will give it to them. They scored, they scored offensive touchdowns against, against Buffalo. That, that, that didn't happen last year. You know, they, right. they didn't normally score on offense. So, from that perspective, as much as I'm grilling him a little bit, um, I do still respect him for the process and the progress. And I think there are, there are things in the future that you kind of take a look at what they're doing now, and you say, okay, well, yeah, if you clean up this and this and that, you might have a pretty darn good football team. So there are signs of a good football team here. I'm not saying there's not, but I just think they're a lot further behind than maybe where I thought they were a week ago or two weeks ago, you know, because of the fact that some of these other teams are losing, and now you're kind of realizing who the cupcakes are and, and all that kind of stuff. That's just my take on it, though. Sure, I agree. I mean, like you said, I mean, a, a, a good football team doesn't move the ball 345 yards like Central did against Buffalo. Like, it, or no, a bad, a bad football team doesn't do that. Sorry, I misspoke there. But, you know, like you said, there's just a couple of different spots, you know, nine penalties, five turnovers. We're, you know, we're harping on a little bit. But, you know, you clean those up. I mean, you have a game. You you have a close game. So I, I think that part of it, I don't know. I mean, like you said, there's still some bright spots on this team and some negative spots. And I think in a big game like this, the 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 bad spots kind of overshadow the the light spots, I guess, mm-hmm. the bright spots. Um, so I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see we'll see where it goes from here. But um, definitely some spots for improvement in in a game where the opponent might, I guess, be better. Be be the be the more formidable team, I guess, in, in this situation. So, it, I don't know. What's your take on this NIU game coming up on Saturday? Yeah, so I'm going to roll with my predictions um, because I'm very proud of them, as you guys can, can obviously tell. I'm very, very proud of the fact that I predicted, predicted this pretty darn well. Um, so, as my predictions said... I'm going to go with a loss against Northern Illinois. Um, listen, they have had a complete overhaul in coaching, and they also lost our top defensive player. Obviously, Thomas Hammock, he takes over as the coach. He was a running backs coach um, for the last five years with the Baltimore Ravens. So he knows what he's doing with Trey Harbison. I think they're going to run the heck out of the football. Um, I think it's going to be too much for CMU. Even at home, it'll hand them their first home loss this year. So... That's my thought on that is a uh, is a definite loss, um, and I'll say it's going to be close. I mean, I, I, my my predictions I had it at twenty sixteen. Granted, at the time when I made the predictions, I didn't think CMU's offense was going to be as potent as it is now. Um, so, still a loss. I think it'll be close, like my predictions were, but I don't think it'll be as low scoring. Um, but your your overall thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this this NIU offense can move the ball, and so can the CMU offense. So, um, it just kind of comes down to. Uh, which defense folds first? Um, you know, can CMU sustain a couple of big plays defensively? I mean, can they handle some big plays from the NIU offense and still come back and, and kind of sink their teeth into it? Um, and likewise, can CMU's offense come up with some big plays? I mean, if you, we didn't really you didn't really see one um, against Buffalo, so. I think if uh, if that CMU offense can can make some big plays, I think I think it'll be right it'll be right there. But I I do agree. I, I do think uh, I do think NIU is gonna gonna pull out a close one. Really? I I do. Really? Yeah. I I do. I think it'll be really close. I mean, we're talking like who NIU is gonna have the ball at the end of the game, and they're gonna go go down and score. Go go down and score whatever winning play it's gonna be. Touchdown, field goal, whatever. But it definitely definitely will come down to whoever has the ball last, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You're agreeing with me. 
I am. I, I, he always it, agrees with me. It, take the knife out of my back, please, or take the knife out of like my arm or whatever. But yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I, I do agree with you. I went back, and you did predict a win for CMU in this one. I did, but your thoughts have changed uh, a little bit. What's the reasoning? Yeah. Well, just get just you, predi- given- you predicted a twenty three fourteen. So yes, about one score. I mean, not one score, but I mean close to one score. Yeah, um, close. You had you had the closeness down, but what what made you flip the switch there? Though? Well, just given what what we saw against Bowling Green, um, I know the the offense played pretty well. Um, defense played okay. Um, I think there were a couple of of down spots for both teams, uh, or for both sides of the ball. But uh, I don't know. Just given just given what we've seen the last two weeks, I think um, I think I think I've got to give it to NIU. All right, so we both predict a loss for the Chippewas. We'll see how that one plays out, and we will see if, if the Chippewas are going to be able to, to get it done or not. I won't be there for that game. I got a wedding to go to that day, sadly. Um, listen, people, here's a quick uh, a quick PSA. Don't schedule weddings during football season. That's just not a good idea Never. because people aren't going to show up um, as much as they would if you did it when it wasn't during football season. So... Yeah, it, it kind of blows because as CMU's going on the stretch here, bowl eligibility, of course, I want to be there. But um, it's my cousin. I'm really close with him, so I feel um, like I, I really should be there. I mean, you only get married once, so I guess I might as well show up wow. um, and, and be there. But, 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 but we're going to have these guys back here um, on the coverage, and I'll obviously be staying tuned with it from from at the wedding. You know, I'll probably be having the, the ESPN app out, um, watching the game, seeing seeing what's up. And I'd be in. shocked if you didn't. Yeah, I'll be checking up on these guys' tweets, too, as, as well, and what you guys are all doing. But anyway, men's basketball, women's basketball, um, we got to see both of their scrimmages early in the season. Men's basketball, I mean, oh, my gosh. It's, it's kind of unbelievable to even think about and wrap your head around how many transfers they've brought in. And it's not even like this is the first time that Keno Davis has done such a thing because it, it does happen so often. Um, head over to cm-life.com. And you got to check out Christian Boer's story. Um, it's all about the newcomers who are at the forefront of the reload. The reload coming because Sean Rountree Jr. and uh, Larry Austin Jr. They were the the guards and they led the team and they ran the you know they they ran the offense really. And it was because of them that CMU was in a lot of games. They've got a bunch of new guys in here um, going down the list. They got junior guard Trayvon Broadway Jr. from Iowa Western Community College. We've got. Um, you know, continuing down, Devontae Lane, a guy from Indian Hills Community College, same JUCO as Rob Montgomery. Um, he's a guard and a, a junior as well. He also played with David DeLeo back when he was in high school, so those two high school teammates. Um, Deshaun Winston, a guy that I think might be special. Um, we'll see. He's not going to start um, as as far as I have it projected right now. It's going to be um, Broadway and, and Lane starting up top. But a guy off the bench in, in Winston, someone that I think – might be able to do some damage. Uh, another junior guard, uh, City College of San Francisco. He's 6'4", 175. Going down, Preston Enlow from Tarleton State to Division II. Um, he's a junior guard as well. He's going to sit out this year due to NCAA transfer rules. And then we have two freshmen in with the, the squad, Caleb Hodgson, um, 6'10", 227 from Danesville High School here in Michigan. He's a forward. Um, and a guy that, honestly, I think he could be pretty good if they use him as a big, but you know Keno Davis, he likes the three. He's probably going to have him be like a Luke Meyer 2.0. And granted, Luke Meyer, yeah, he scored a lot of points, but he just played a ton and shot a lot. Um, and wasn't really much of a threat in the rebounding game, which I think you have to do um, in this day of age and ba- in this day and age of basketball. You have to have somebody that can solid, you know, rebound at, at least give you rebounds and give you a presence in the paint. And they're going to need that once Rob Montgomery is gone. But even Rob Montgomery isn't like a, like a crazy big threaten the paint. I mean, we'll see how that all plays out this year and see if he's worked on his game. Dylan Jorgens, though, Howardsville Christian High School, um, a dude that ranks third in MHSA history after scoring 2,782 points over his high school career. He averaged 40.5 points per game in his senior season. He's a freshman, walk-on guard, um, a guy that I think could be pretty good in a couple of years, but he's got to size up. Austin, I just threw a lot at everybody. What are oh, yeah. your thoughts on on the 2019-20 Chippewas? Well, uh, you know, I, th- I thought they looked pretty good. Um, you know, the couple of sloppy turnovers, uh, I think. But, I mean, it's October. You know, the season doesn't even start for another another week here. But, um, you know, I, I, I like the I like the, the junior guards, uh, what Lane and Broadway. Um, they both look good. I, th- I think P.J. Mitchell is going to be a big guy. Um, he's going to come in off the bench and take care of business. Um 
so I, I you know I think there's there, there's a lot there's a lot of, of good uh, on Keno Davis's roster and um, you know we'll 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 see if if, if they do become a, a finished product here at some point as as he likes to say but and I, I think they have the pieces to get there um, you know like I said and, and they finally have depth you know that's that's something that, that that you didn't see last year out of this team is they didn't have very didn't have very good depth. So if you know if, if Roundtree or, or Larry Austin got into foul trouble, I mean, who who would come? I mean, Dallas Morgan. Yeah, I mean, and and no 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 disrespect to to Dallas because I completely forgot about that. But uh, but you know I I think he does a good job. But I don't know. I I think this this team's this team's just getting better. I think so. I'm not sold yet, at all. Um, I I think. You have a lot to prove coming from a junior college. Okay, yeah, you you've had some good junior college players in the past, and you've had, you know, you've had guys that have been able to stand out and contribute, um, and that's what you brought them here to do. And and so I do understand that from the standpoint of having guys that have been able to come over and 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 get stuff done. But you also have guys like Andrew Myers who who hadn't done anything, um, and different players. You know, you know, even even like a guy like Innocent Nwoko, like he came here and was supposed to be really good and and didn't turn out. I know he didn't come from a junior college, but he didn't turn out to be what he was expected to be. And and really last year was the first year when Keno Davis kind of decided, all right, I'm going to bring in junior college transfers um, and and make that part of my program. Now, obviously, you know, you had Cecil Williams and you've had, you know, the Marcus Keynes and you had different people to do that. But this is the biggest, you know, haul that he's brought from junior colleges in a, in a long time. And you know, even Gavin Peppers, who I thought was going to be all right here, he ended up leaving the program. I mean, he was from a Division One at, at Cleveland State. So when you're looking at who they're bringing in, it's kind of like all these guys are kind of thrown into the fire and said, like, all right, like make this work. How do you expect these guys to just make it work? I, I guess it's my that's my question for for Keno Davis, and that's what he's going to have to prove is, you know, you you take these you take these guys that haven't been in your system and that have no idea how to be in your system, and you're you bring them in and you're telling them, okay, you have what? Probably by the time they get here, what, like six, seven months to prepare for the season and go. Good luck. You what? You get here before the summer starts. And then you have what from the, the summer months to now we're in what, October, November, and they're supposed to just be ready to go. Yeah, I think. And I, like for some guys, it works. Like I get it. For mm-hmm. for Sean Roundtree, I mean, you know, it worked for him and I get that. For Cecil Williams, it it worked for him as well. Um, but a guy like Larry Austin Jr., he was at Division One schools. Like he he came as a Division One guy. Right. He understood what it was like to play in a Division One system. And now you bring in what two guys are going to start at the point, um, or they're going to start at the guard positions, and then you also bring in Deshaun Winston, who's going to play um, in a in a backup role. And and then obviously Preston Enloe. I mean, his situation probably works out the best because of the fact that you know he's a redshirt sophomore. So he's gonna basically gonna get a chance to just sit out all this year and then play next year. So he has time to learn the system. But two JUCO guys coming in and just filling a role, like filling a role of, of leaders and guys that are gonna be able to put the team on their back. And all they have is JUCO experience. And not to knock the JUCO the JUCO system, but I just don't know how you can you can trust that yet. Well, I think it's gonna take a little bit of adjustment. Um I mean, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna just get it immediately. Um, I I think there will be some some growth needed, some some actual some you know some D one basketball neat like experience needed. I I think that's that's why Larry Austin was was good last year is because for this program because. He had that D one experience, so he knows how to play Division one basketball, and so he, he was just able to come in and do the do the things that he he. And it was Roundtree's second year too, by that point. Exactly. So and the, and those two fed off each other so well. Mm-hmm. Um, the connection those two had was was phenomenal. So I, yeah, I think I think it'll take a little bit of time for for the guards to, for all these transfers to, figure it out, and like you say, just from the word go, like okay, let's let's figure this out and. Adjust. I think it'll take a couple of games, but I, th- I think they'll they'll be all right. I think come come conference time in, in January. Well, Keno Davis did say he wants to be playing his best basketball in March. Um, David DeLeo said that as well. Obviously, that's that's how it goes. Schedule wise, they have Michigan Dearborn to open up the season. That's November fifth. Um, it's a Tuesday, seven p.m. at McGurk Arena. 
Then they play really a, a handful of games at home until they're on the road. Um, you know, they have they have four after that. Or excuse me, they have four to start the season. Um, and then they go to, to Minnesota really quick, and then they're back at home, and, and then they go to DePaul. A couple of games on their schedule that kind of cause you to shake a little bit early in the non-conference. Keno Davis hasn't been tested in the past in the non-conference. Toughest opponent last season was TCU, and it was just – that was it. It was TCU and nobody else, really. Now you have Minnesota on there, DePaul. You have Texas. You have Robert Morris. You have um, – you also have Purdue. And that you know, and, and then you also throw in – and I know they're a Division two, but you throw in Valparaiso. Or excuse me, they're a Division one AA, I believe. They're in the no, se- they're in, they're in the second tier of Division One, I, I think. I don't think so. I think they I think they still qualify for the for the Big Dance. Yeah, so they're in the second. Yeah, so they're in the second category of Division One. They're like in the lower. Or wait, let me research that. Answer my question real quick though. What do you What are your thoughts on? Um, what are your thoughts? They are in Division One, but I don't know if they're in the top tier or the bottom tier. I gotcha. But what are your What are your thoughts on just that schedule that you have? I mean, you. you I mean, if, like I said, even Valparaiso. Like I was getting to before I stumbled over <laughs> where their classification was. There's some tough teams there. Yeah, there are a lot of tough teams, and it's really good that I, I think it's really good that this, this program is going to get tested. That's uh, finally, like you said, I mean, the, the non-conference in the past for this team hasn't really been all that strong. Uh, maybe, you know, one, maybe two tough tests in there. But, I mean, you have, I think, what, four, three, four, five really, really good teams on, on this schedule um, in the non-conference. So I, I think, you know, even if you do happen to lose those games, um, you can still take you can still learn a lot. Uh, I think in those games, and translate that to uh, to the conference season. I think I think um, it'll be really good for this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're in the just you know too. They're in the Missouri Valley Conference. So Bradley, Drake, Evansville, Illinois State, Indiana State, Loyola University, Chicago. Missouri State, um, Northern Iowa, Southern Illinois, and then and then obviously Valpo. So they do get some competition in the in their conference schedule. Teams that we've seen and and heard of in the tournament. I think that Valpo game is a scare. I think you know maybe people might be banking on that. There there's tough opponents on this on this non conference. I mean you, you're looking at a team that could realistically lose. I mean what when you when you break it down you lose to Minnesota. You might lose at DePaul. Um, you might lose at Valparaiso. You're probably going to lose at Texas, and you're probably going to lose at Purdue, and then you could be losing to to Robert Morris. You're looking at a, a potential six losses plus maybe a fluke loss to a, maybe a team or two that it you know it's also in the non-conference that you should be able to beat. I mean, you're looking at possibly having seven or eight losses in the non-conference if you're not prepared, you know, for those games and you don't execute on what you need to execute. That's kind of scary because normally for CMU, it's it's been a true cakewalk through the non-conference. I mean, even going back to last season, you know. <laughs> just last year they only lost to, to Weber State and that was in the, the Junkanoo Jam they also lost to TCU obviously as as we've noted and um and that was it they had two losses in their non-conference yeah I mean and and they finished and yeah and they finished 23 in in 12 so they had 10 conference losses you cannot have that I mean so I I think I think we'll see something of of the opposite and 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 it's, here's my opinion: is we'll see a complete flip from last year's. Is you're going to see, you know, six, seven, maybe even eight losses in the non-conference schedule, and then I think those not those non-conference losses are really going to test this team and, and help it improve. And it's not going to lose as many games in conference. I don't think. Um, I don't know much about the rest of the conference uh, in terms of you know in terms of who who's going to be great, who's not. Um, so I'll do I'll do some more research on that, but I I just think you know those tough losses in the non-conference will lead to uh, a a better showing in in MAC play. Women's basketball, let's go there real quick. Yes, Heather Oshley taking over the team. Um, we got a first look at um, at what they're going to be able to throw out there on Sunday. That was the the scrimmage as well. What are your thoughts on on the scrimmage and? And what we saw to the Chippewas, I think they look pretty good. Uh, again, um, not nece- not necessarily you know the the cleanest game. Um, you know they are they are actually out rebounded by the uh, alumni team, uh, which Heather Osterley said she was really concerned about. Um, so that you know I think that's that's one part that'll be uh, difficult for this team is is. Uh, is rebounding when you lose the 
conference leader in career rebounds and in, in Raina Frost. And um, that'll be that'll be one part I think that they're going to struggle with at first, and I think they'll start to kind of come to their own a little bit and start rebounding a little bit better. What were your thoughts? Yeah, season tips off November 6th um, at home against Green Bay. It's a 7 o'clock game. Green Bay a good, uh, Green Bay's a good mid-major team, and then you you go on the road and you play Louisville, Kentucky as part of that home-and-home home from uh, from a season ago. That's the, the second part of that. And then Western Kentucky, Dayton, and you're kind of right into the mix, and before you know it, Mac play is going to be starting up. So some tests on – this uh, on this schedule, especially early, uh, maybe not as many, not, not not as many tests as last year. I'll give them that, but still, I mean, it's a it's a tough schedule, especially for a team from uh, you know team a team from a smaller school like Central. Listen, you ask my thoughts. I I'm hesitant with this team. I don't I don't know what to expect. I think it'll be a down year, but I also think that the MAC in in general might be might be a down year. See, so might be able to capitalize on that. Expectations are still the same. I mean, they they still want to be making it. Um, to the NCAA tournament, making deep runs, winning titles, um, and and I I don't know. It, a lot of it depends on how does Molly Davis develop. How, is she going to be able to flip that switch and become become real good real quick? She's thrown into the fire immediately. She can be in that starting lineup along with Michaela Kelly and Maddie Waters at the guard positions. So when you're looking at it from that perspective, she's really got to be able to realize that this game is a lot quicker. And I know she's learned that in practice and stuff, but it's a little bit different when you enter the game situation. It helps that Michaela Kelly is the one that guards her in practice and is going to be giving her most of the you know most of a test there. But honestly, she's got to strengthen up. She's got to be ready for the physicality of of the game and, and what it brings. We'll see if she's able to to handle that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Shine Shine Strickland Gills. That was a player that. I thought coming in as a true freshman is going to be like a Raina Frost and, and rebound the ball. She did not look as strong as I, I thought she would. She looked a little bit weaker um, than I would have imagined with her coming in. You know, it's another player that's just kind of like a learning curve, a learning period. Listen, I think this team is going to be good. And I think this team is going to be good and maybe next year, the year after, when you have, you know, Miley Davis, Shine Strickland-Gills, and, and Katie MacArthur, your, your other freshman. When you have those three as – as sophomores and juniors, I think your team's going to be a lot better. But right now, it's it is, it is a growing stage, and there are growing pains because you're taking away two leaders that you've had that have been mainstays in your program. So my thoughts from the scrimmage specifically was Michaela Kelly. I mean, she looked good um, in her role, trying to lead the team and command the offense and push the ball up the floor, and she kept the intensity high. Um, she have to do that all year long. She's going to really have to carry this team when they need her. She is going to have to make big shots. Um, and there, there's no question about that. I think Maddie Waters needs to have a little bit more confidence. Sue's talked about that. Sue talked about that um, a long time before she retired was getting Maddie the confidence that she needs. I, I think if you're Waters, you've got to be firing the ball in all cylinders. They need your points uh, and you got to be ready to play. Jahari Smith, I think, needs to take a step forward. A lot of players need to take a step forward from the scrimmage. We saw a little bit of it, um, especially from McKenna Kelly. I thought she looked really good. She looked a lot more confident as a, a senior in there. But listen, you got to take that next step and I haven't seen enough yet. No, fair enough. I, you know, I agree. I mean, there's still there's still a ton of question marks. I mean, there's so many question marks. There's a ton. You've uh, never even seen your you've never even seen one of your starting guards play. Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, you, you've seen it in practice, but you know, actually, that doesn't tell you squat. Right. In that actually game situation, you know, um, and I, I, you know, a scrimmage, I guess, is some people's first considered game scrimmage, but it, it, realistically speaking. Um, you know, we'll we'll figure. You know, you, you'll start to figure it out on November sixth, and really, I mean, you're you're thrown in that into that fire really quick. I mean, you play one of the best non one of the best mid major programs in Green Bay. Then you go play Louisville, who's one of the best programs in the country, arguably. And then um, later on, you you have South Dakota State on the road, and and they're, they're one tough. of they're one of the best programs in terms of mid majors. So it'll it'll be really tough, I think, for this for for this program. Um, like you said, I think it'll be a little bit of a down year, um, but you'll see, it, it all goes back to lessons learned. Um, what can you learn, you know, in the non-conference to take it to the conference schedule? What can you learn this year to bring to next? Um, not that you want to already be looking next year, but you know, it's a lot of lot of growth, a lot of building. I think for this team this year, so it'll be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to follow. All right, man. Again. Central Michigan football taking on um, taking on a challenge as they're trying to to get back to their winning ways. Men's and women's basketball, you know, both have some positivity and some 
question mark surrounding their season as, as they're getting ready to tip off. We'll see how that all plays out. Obviously, again, cm-life.com. Go check out our stuff. We'll make sure to keep you guys posted on that. But we've talked enough about football, basketball, and um, and listen, we teased it earlier, and we got to give it to you. Um, Jeremy Groves said some things that were kind of controversial, had some people a little bit upset. Um, obviously, that's your guys' call. Whatever you think about it is what you think about it. But uh, we're going to bring on Christian Boer and Andrew Loveland, our two soccer writers. They also cover volleyball as well, and, and they just do a phenomenal job. They'll both be covering women's basketball as well. So you really need to reach out and give them a follow. Um, you need to go online, check out their stuff. If you're on Twitter, again, make sure to give them a follow. Um, Andrew Loveland, he is just Andy underscore Loveland. And then Christian Boer is C Boer one three two two follow them both again a lot of great stuff you guys we'll bring them on now so they can talk a little bit about what jeremy grove said and what what this might mean for the central michigan program does it light a fire under the team is it is it a bad thing to say i mean so what are your guys' thoughts yeah so i'll start here and kind of give some background information on the whole thing uh they lost one zero to akron on sunday and that it was a bad loss for them. They didn't play great in the first half. They kind of rebounded in the second half, but by, they never got a real good shot on goal. And after the game, I mean, Groves was frustrated. He commented a lot on lack of what he felt like was effort, and just he had a whole lot to say about just everything he felt like they weren't doing. And I, do you have the exact quotes pulled up on that? Yeah, Christian? yeah. So I got my story pulled up here. Um, just a simple gamer, you know. And there were some things that I left out that we'll touch on in a second. Some quotes that I left out because I didn't, I didn't feel they really fit the context of my game recap. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, the other reporter down there with us just asked for an opening statement, and he got started right away. He said, "Not good. You know, we didn't show up." We didn't perform. We didn't try. And I think that's a, a thing that kind of caught my eye right off the bat was he didn't, wa- he didn't waste any time. He got right out there and flat out said it. He, he said they did not try, and I think that's something, you know, obviously you don't hear it every day, but I think that's what's kind of sparking all this interest is, you know, the girls, did they try? I mean, I would assume that they did. You know, they're out there. Um, they're putting forth what I believe is their best effort, but Groves didn't see it that way. Yeah, and I think it's it's always different as a reporter. We're in the press box. I not I don't feel qualified to look down and say whether or not a certain player is giving the effort that they deserve or that I feel like we deserve as, you know, fans and reporters. Like that's not our job to comment on are they giving effort, but I mean, you have to assume if you're the coach, you can tell who's giving effort oh, and yeah. who isn't. I mean, and maybe that was evident by some of the changes he made in the second half. I mean, bringing Alina Minakova from her spot and the defense up to forward because it kind of seemed like she was she was trying to score and I think he was just he went on you know he talked a lot about how they didn't try and net front of net like no one had desire to score goals was what he said multiple times in that interview right and you know case in point Akron's goal in the first half you know it was just a simple cross you know cross pass and the Chippewa defender I don't have I don't have the exact name but she stood there and let it bounce off her and in swipes Bailey Bowers from Akron, who makes a play on it and scores the goal. And I think that's that was just a you know, a calling card for what the rest of the game was gonna be like. And I think that's one of the things that Groves was so upset about. You know, it sounded like there were a lot of things he was upset about. And we've been talking to him, you know, Tuesday afternoons at media availability, and he's been kind of touching on his frustrations, you know, and how they've been struggling to score, and they're always working on finishing. And I think Sunday afternoon was just the tipping point. I don't know if you call that rock bottom. I don't know if a team that's three games over 500 can hit, necessarily hit rock bottom. Um, but, yeah, I think that's just the thing that Groves is so upset about. He's been preaching, you know, we got to finish, we got to finish, we got to finish. And two games in a row now, they've been scoreless. Yeah, and I think it's frustrating if you're Groves. I mean, that first half was one of the tougher halves I think we've watched all season long. It just... Nothing was going right. They could not keep possession. It seemed like they were just kicking balls in the general direction that they needed to go without a ton of purpose, and Akron was capitalizing on it, but not really. Like, Akron, I think, is a team that CMU should have beat. For sure. And I think they came into the game knowing that they were better than them, and they didn't perform. And I think, to Groves' point, too, Marley Bringer leads the team in goals. She has six of them on the season. She misses a header that 
you know, could have done some things. Lauren DeBow misses a couple goals. She takes maybe one too many dribbles in front of net after juking out the goalkeeper and then has the ball taken away. She misses one wide right. They just missed a lot of opportunities that I don't think at this point in the season he expects them to make. Right, and I think another thing with that is you mentioned Marley, you mentioned Lauren. Those are two players that Jeremy Groves expects the world out of, and I think that's a testament to Lauren DeBow being just a true freshman. You know, but she's made she's had moments already this year that some people never have in their four year careers. I mean, she nailed a phenomenal corner kick that bent into the goal to win a road game at Kentucky to put him at five zero and two heading into the conference slate. And at that point, if you're Coach Groves, you know the sky's the limit for this squad. He's a here's a guy who won fifty games in four years at Murray State. He spent last season as a volunteer assistant, but that was just because he was waiting for a job like this to open up. And now he's got his team and heading into the conference slate, which, by the way, at Murray State in the Ohio Valley Conference, he went almost three years without losing a game. Mm -hmm. And he comes into the Mid-American Conference maybe thinking he's just going to do the same thing. And I think that's that's part of where this frustration is coming from because they started out so fast. And at that point, all the rebuilding expectations, all the, you know, growing pains, so to speak, that all goes out the window because you're playing to win. And this is a team... Well, maybe they peaked too early. Maybe that's just what we're looking at. Um, Groves, he said it. You know, they they're doing things. They they you know they were finishing just fine at the beginning of the year. Miyakova was scoring goals. Deboa scoring goals. Marley's got six of them already. But now you're looking at two straight games. One of them which went into two overtimes without a goal. And I think that's where all this frustration's coming from. Yeah, I think uh, heading into Bowling Green, I want to say they were six one and two. Yeah. You lose to Bowling Green in a tough loss. I mean, Bowling Green ties the game with 33 seconds left. You go into overtime. They score with less than a minute left to win the game. That's a demoralizing loss. I And the, they came out the next game and beat Toledo 3-0. And I think everyone kind of assumed, like, okay, that's behind them. We're in this, you know, part of the season now where they scored three goals. Like, you think they've figured it out. And then since then, they've just continued to not perform and – to not do some things. So I think it's a building frustration. I don't think he watched Sunday's game and just suddenly felt like this team. Oh, no. yeah. I think there has to have been some things maybe in practice and some other games where he thought or noticed like maybe this player isn't giving the effort that I expect in my team. And, you know, I talked to him a little bit in the preseason about what his expectations were, and he wasn't super high to set a win, like a win total or anything like that. But, he just kept saying, you know, like, I don't enter a game or a situation or a season to do anything other than win. Right. But he also acknowledging, like, the team was, you know, what, 7-12 and 12 or something like that last season. Correct. Like, they had some growing to do, obviously, and you're adding some pieces in, like Zoe Reed, who wasn't able to play last season. So you're doing some, you're doing some different things and getting some different players in there, and I don't think he expected the team to be – you know, top of the Mac, but it's frustrating. You're number two, number three in the Mac, trying to figure out how can we play for a top four seeding in a home game in the tournament. Now Thursday, if they don't win, they might not make the tournament at all. That's an insane, like, fall from grace, if you will. Yeah, it's extremely hard to believe, you know, where this team started to where they are now. Um, But going back to that first half, we've talked all about this, about all of his frustration, but I don't think we've touched on exactly what he said he came right out and said it. You know, he came out right and said, you know, this is the third or fourth week now. I'll quote him exactly, actually. So you start the quote. This is like the third or fourth week now where we've tried a different approach. I don't understand why we're not getting a performance from people. And then he went on to say, and I quote, that first half was probably the worst spectacle I've ever seen on a soccer field in however long I've been doing this, both as a player and a coach. What, what are your thoughts on that? Andy? I mean... Speaking in the press box, they've played a lot of good soccer this season. That was probably the worst half I've ever seen them play. I mean, Akron's a very winnable game. Akron, I don't know if they outshot them, but I think it might have been 7-6 to six or something like that in the first half as far as shots go. And then you look and you say the second half, CMU outshoots Akron 10-0. to zero. So I if the CMU plays any – like anything in the first half like they did in the second half, I don't think we're having this conversation. I don't think Akron gets a goal. I don't think CMU loses. You know, you could, if 20 shots on goal, you would assume at least one of those goes in. 
And so it it wasn't a very pretty game. I think what most people I've seen on Facebook and on Twitter and some of these comments have had a problem with is the coach shouldn't say that to us post-game. It should be something done, like, in the locker room. Yeah, and I agree with that. I, I really do. But at the same time, you know, he's got all these frustrations. I think I, I look at it from the human nature aspect where he's frustrated and – I mean, he doesn't necessarily need to vent to us, but I, I think that's what happened. I really do. You know, we we came out there, and and it's we do the same thing every single game. We go down there, and we get an opening statement from him, and he didn't – I mean, he didn't hold it back. And I, I think – I definitely understand where he's coming from. This is a team that started out really, really well, and you expect your team to grow through the season. And so I'm sure that at the beginning of the year, his, his expectations weren't as high for his team as they are right now. And – you knew with such a young squad, you know, you've got Marley and Zoe. But other than that, there's no real senior leadership. And I think that's part of why maybe this team isn't where they could be. Um, another thing I'd like to mention is the injury to Lauren. Toward, might have been middle of the first half, maybe even earlier. Yeah, I would say about uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. She went down holding, I think it was her right leg, maybe her ankle. It looked like an ankle injury. It looked, maybe. It, yeah. Pure speculation, though. Yeah. And she came off. She missed the rest of the first half. And then she came back in the second half, Annie, and it looked like new life had been injected into her. Yeah, I mean, they didn't go into the locker room at all during halftime. Nope. So they were out in the field. We could see them warming up. We could see her stretching the whole time. You know, it. I think I said at the as halftime was going, I was like, oh, it looks like Lauren DeBoe is taking her, you know, her warm, her coat off. It looks like she intends to play this second half. And sure enough, she was out there right away from the first whistle and was just running. So I don't know if it, she just needed that time to, like, you know, she rolled her ankle, which is what he kind of said after the game. And I don't know if she just needed that time to walk it off. But post game, it sounded like maybe he wasn't 100% on board with how much time she'd missed. Yeah, and I think going back to what I said earlier, I think that's a player he expects so much out of simply because of the impact she's made at such... I mean, she's tied for the lead in shots. She has 46 shots this year. Yeah, and she's offensively, she makes such an impact. You know, the offense kind of flows through her. Like you said, she's tied for the team lead in shots. She's putting a lot of balls towards the net, and I think this is kind of that point in year where girls is expecting her to start putting more of them in the net, in the net and not wide or not high. And she's been missing, and I think that's one of the things that has got him kind of riled up, so to speak. Um, but looking at the team as a whole, I'm going to mention a quote to you that he said um, in his, after the second question was asked. He said, and I quote, I'm not going to just sit here and defend him, end quote. What, as a player, from a player standpoint, what kind of effect does that have on you? I mean, I won't speculate 100% on how this – might affect different players. You're looking at it, I mean, some of the players, Marley, Zoe, I don't know their relationship, how how much they've gotten used to his style over the season. But every time I've talked to Groves, he's pretty much the same guy. For sure. He, t- he tells it how he sees it. So if it's a frustrating game, if it's a good game, he's going to say what he saw. So you would think they'd expect it, but it's possible some of those players who don't have to be here very much longer might not love that kind of motivation that might not be what what motivates them to play better on Thursday some of the younger players I they might be used to it they're the he's the only college coach they've ever had so maybe they're kind of used to it and it might it might actually work I mean uh Lauren DeBoe I again I don't know how she's going to take it but I think it was the game before that when you'd gotten the opportunity to talk to her parents a little bit they'd said something like you know she's an adult she can yeah. handle she can handle this stuff. She's a big girl. Yeah, one of the things they said, I'll quote them directly, they said they didn't want to be helicopter parents. You know, they mentioned that Lauren is her own person and then and then if there's a conflict that she can handle it herself. And I think that's not only a testament to the kind of trust that her parents have in her, but I think that's also a testament to the trust they have in Coach Groves, even though this is his first year and so he really didn't have a kind of role in her recruitment. Um but just as a team in general, I think that this is going to do one of two things. This is, I would assume this is going to unite them in one way or another. They're either going to respond in a positive way or they're going to check out. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not part of that team, so I'm not going to sit here and speculate as to which one it's going to be. Um, but you nailed it when you said that Groves has been the same person every time we've talked to him. He's very straightforward. He's going to tell you like it is. Um, 
he's not going to push. He's not going to pinch words. He's not going to hold back. And I think that's a prime example of what happened on Sunday. He just he just voiced his opinion. You know, this is a guy who expects way more out of his team, and he's not getting it. And I think he expected them to be in a much better position. He expects them. His expectation for them coming out of non conference was probably to be playing at home in the first round of this tournament. And now it's a possibility that that's not even going to happen. And I think you know it's kind of wearing on him a little bit. Plus, you know, the the whole with the whole Lauren thing and her injury. I'm not gonna sit here and speculate, you know, what the severity of it was, but it looked like she was out there ready to play and motivated. And maybe, maybe this isn't the first time these players have heard something like this from him. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we're not in practice every day. We're not in the locker room at halftime. We don't know. Like we've seen a couple of gamers, they've started off slow, and then after halftime, they kind of come on a little bit. So this could be a common theme where he just doesn't feel like people are showing up to the game is ready to go and he's just not said it but he's like I said he's consistent every time I mean even earlier in the season DeBoe was getting all those shots wasn't scoring you know and he was kind of willing to say like yeah we're working on it like we're gonna get there you know with her eventually so I mean as far as like fallout for this type of situation goes for him I mean Media availability for this week is still kind of in question as far as, like, if we'll be there at practice this week or if we won't. I don't know if that's Groves. I don't know if that's the university. We'll know later this week. But they'll the team will show up on Thursday. They'll pretty If they win, they're in the tournament. If they lose, there's a chance they miss the thing entirely. So I think we'll see if the team responds to what Groves is saying. If the team goes out and looks worse than they did on Sunday, which could be hard, for them to actually look worse than that. If they but if they look worse, then I think we're in a tricky situation where cuz I don't it's his first year. He didn't say anything that I felt like was completely out of bounds. Like maybe he shouldn't Correct. have said it, but I don't think he'll lose his job from this. I'd be I'd actually be incredibly shocked if he did. Yeah. Um but I think like you said the other possibility is they come out and some of those players might respond to that and yeah. you know get Get a two nothing win. Get a three nothing win. I mean, they almost need it against Eastern, who's one point behind them. Because if you lose to Eastern, and you're the eighth seed, and let's say you make the tournament, you're going to Bowling Green in in the tournament, right. and they don't want that. So I think if you're gonna stick around and you believe in Groves as a coach, you need to show up and get a win on Thursday. Right. And the, the thing about it is, is they went to Bowling Green earlier in the year. And they were, thir- what, 33 seconds away from coming out of there with a win. You know, wa- going back, watching that game, they cleared the ball with just over 45 seconds to go. And next thing you know, it's a 2-2 tie. And that's one of the things, I think, where this kind of started this snowball for Groves, at least. And Thursday's going to be a pivotal moment, you know, whether or not this team responds. The one thing I will mention is that with all this backlash, you know, on social media, to the comments that's been made, you haven't seen one player say anything and I think that's you know maybe that's just them hiding it but there's been no response from the players I I would think that maybe it's they're just maybe they're used to it by now yeah I mean no didn't look like any subtweets or anything that I'd seen like and I mean even used to it is kind of almost the wrong word because I mean it could just be something where he's saying it to us now but he could have been saying it to them the whole season and it's like they know, like, okay, that's how he feels because I think most coaches understand, like, you know, if I've got an issue or you need to do something, like, the player's already been told in practice prior to the game, you know, because, like, I'll use, you know, CMU volleyball coach Mike Golick as an example. He'll say some things in press conferences, like, you know, he'll say, oh, like, I don't think Savannah Thompson did this very well at all today. Savannah Thompson's sitting in the press conference. Right. You know, and – she doesn't look at him shocked like I can't believe he's saying that she kind of just shakes her head nods and goes like oh yeah like I probably didn't do that as well as I should today and as well as I can and she she's heard from Gallic before like hey you need to improve on this so I think it could be the same thing we're looking at with Groves where like someone who's not on the team that's shocking Mm -hmm. someone in with the team every day Monday Monday through Friday you know on game days you might just say like yeah i We've had this conversation. Like, him and I are working on that part of the game. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, like, he's not – Groves is no Bobby Knight, right? He's not smashing chairs. He's not throwing things. 
He just used his words to express his disappointment, his frustration. And it'll be really, really interesting to see how they respond to that on Thursday night. Maybe the players haven't even been paying attention to it. Maybe they've got no idea, you know, because, you know, maybe that's just something they've kind of turned a blind eye to when it comes to social media. Maybe they're not too worried about it, which if that's the case, props to them. I mean, uh, but other than that, you know, Andy, Andy, anything else you want to add? No, I'll be I'll be interested to see how this story develops, if it develops at all. Like it could be a story that dies down in a day or two. Right. The only thing that that I the only thing I could see maybe snowballing is when he said he's not gonna sit here and defend them. Like if you're a player, you know, maybe that kind of rubs you the wrong way, you know, because you come here and parents especially, you know, you trust your your I, in this case, daughter's development, not only academically, but athletically with this guy. And now he says he's not going to sit here and defend you, and he tells that to a reporter. You know, what's that What's that turn into? Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I understand, like, what people would be saying, like, you know, on social media and different right. things. But if you're a D1 athlete and you go up against a team that you think you can beat and you lo- and you end up losing one nothing yeah. and not looking very good doing it, like – you might be saying, like, how is he going to defend us? Like, no, you yeah. know, what can he say in that situation that just says, like, oh, like, we got beat by a team we should have – I mean, they outshot him, ended up shoot, outshooting him 17-6. You know, like, we sh- probably should have beat them 2-1. Yeah, and I'm sure most of the players understand that. And I'm sure, it, you know, today he probably addressed it at practice or has addressed it with the team in some capacity. But, yeah, other than that, I – I think we've touched on everything. I think that's you know, all for now. Th- that'll be a storyline for Thursday, I guess. Well, listen, I had a chance to kind of sit back and just listen to you guys talk about everything that transpired with uh, the soccer team and how that all went down. And I appreciate you guys for coming on again. For Christian Boer and Andrew Loveland, um, both of you guys, thank you so much. Austin and I, we talked a lot about football and, and basketball. And obviously soccer has an interesting storyline as well in the mix, so... Keep following cm-life.com. Keep reading our work. We'll continue to keep you guys updated on everything that you care about in terms of Central Michigan sports. Again, thanks for listening to Maroon and Bold. Catch us next week. Thanks again. We really appreciate it.